Hi, and welcome to the fourth edition of the Assets SRS Preparing for a Career in Academic Surgery podcast series. I'm uh, James Glasby. I'm an NIHR doctoral research fellow in global surgery and the Asset SRS representative. And today I have here with me. Uh, hi, everyone. I'm Savesh. I'm an NIHR ACF uh, trainee in general surgery and also part of the SRS Council. And we're delighted to welcome our guest speaker today, um, Miss Natalie Blenko. And uh, Natalie, it's great to have you here with us. Thank you very much for inviting me. Um, so Natalie, we just wondered if, if we could start by asking you to give um, us a little overview of your academic career today and what pathway you've taken to get to where you are. Yeah, sure. Um, so back in the day when I was at SHO level, there was no such thing as academic foundation training. So um, I missed out on that bit, but um, I began um, as an ST4 ACF um, in general surgery in Bristol. Um, I was the first one in the Southwest, actually, in general surgery. Um, and after that, and much like you, um, I did a doctoral research fellowship also by the NHR, then a clinical lectureship. Um, and then finally, last year, I got an MRC clinician scientist. Um, and about the same time, I was appointed as a consultant and also as a Royal College of Surgeons clinical trials senior lecturer. Wow, fantastic. That's so exciting. Lots of... Uh fantastic positions. Um, Savesh, would you like to start with our questions today? Yeah, so um, I guess a lot of people find it hard to find a you know, area of research or a very defined area to sort of develop them as an academic um, surgeon. And, and for you, how did you find the area of research um, during your training? Well, um, as a medical student, I did an intercalated BSc, um, and that's provided me with some exposure to lab-based research. And I think it's fair to say that although I enjoyed it immensely, um, I realised really quite quickly that that was absolutely not for me. Um, so when I got the opportunity to join the team in Bristol, which is health services research, um, I, I'd had a taster of it before because I'd done some a little bit alongside my full-time clinical training as an SHO. Um, but I, I realised straight away that this was something that fitted me and my skill set and my personality um, a, a lot better. Oh, that's really interesting. And um, do you mind just telling for the audience, do you mind maybe just describing a little bit more about what your exact uh, research focus is? That'd be really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. So um, there are several things, really. So um, the big one is that um, our centre is very interested in designing and conducting um large-scale randomized trials um, that are really high quality so the methods behind them really matter so the type of things that we've been investigating over the last 10 years include things like how can we best select and report outcomes that we should measure in, in trials how can we blind patients surgeons and caregivers to the interventions that are being delivered and how can we assure the quality of um, surgical interventions being delivered in these trials they're just a few examples of some of the methodological type interests that we have and then another similar but, but different um, area of work is within our surgical innovation theme of the Biomedical Research Centre here in Bristol, which is all about developing um, safe, efficient, transparent and efficient methods of innovating in surgery um, so that the best innovations, whether that be a device or a procedure, um, get to patients in the quickest but also the, the safest way. Wow, fantastic. And trials are always put on a pedestal, probably appropriately so, as, as being the most robust form of research. But actually, all the mechanics underneath sound like they really, really need reinforcement um, in surgery as much as anywhere else. So it sounds really interesting. And 
Um, can I ask, so is your area of interest that you had when you first got involved as an ACF, has that evolved much now for your, your you know, clinical lecturer position? How did things change along the way? Um, so the first project that I got involved in was actually about outcome reporting. Um, and I did a big systematic review looking at how outcome reporting varied amongst studies um, that were looking at outcomes for patients with esophageal cancer. Um, and that was a really good way to start. Uh, you know, everyone, I think, appreciates that understanding how to do a systematic review gives you really great skills to, that will serve you well for the rest of the research that you do. Um, and I suppose that and that led on to developing a core outcome set and a core information set for um, patients undergoing esophageal cancer surgery. So that's sort of one area of methodological interest. But I've largely left all of that behind now because in my PhD and in my clinical lectureship and also in my clinician scientist, I've become more interested in ways that we can optim optimise the quality assurance of surgical interventions in trials. Um, and the ultimate aim is to develop um, some recommendations, but also um, an online interactive platform for surgeons and trialists to, to use together to work out how interventions should optimally be delivered based on best evidence and consensus opinion, um, and then work out ways of measuring whether those standards are actually adhered to during a trial, because one of the um, common criticisms of um, surgical trials is that um, what surgeons say they're going to do and what they actually do may end up being two different things. <laughs> it's like the classic i think one of my bosses once said let's construct the surgical lie when it comes down to the writing new operation note at the end of the <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly so so we like to um do things like um encourage surgeons to take videos or photos for example um rather than relying simply on what has been written on a case report form or an operation note as you say and um and, and part of sort of developing um, your area of research um, during inpatient reporter outcomes and currently as well, what would be your biggest challenges, challenge in your career to date in so far? Hmm. You mean uh, in terms of the actual research or getting a position or, or what? J j just in, in general. In, in, in general. Yeah. Um, I think that one of the most difficult things um, is learning to deal with rejection because it happens to everyone. It's just a question of where along the, the journey it happens. Um, for me, um, I was lucky. I, I got my doctoral research fellowship at first attempt. I got a clinical lectureship and then I went for an ambitious um, grant application and I got really good feedback, but I didn't get it. And that was a that was a massive blow. And I hadn't quite realized how much of an effect that would have on me. Um, and so learning to deal with that was one of the most important things that I've actually had to learn, I think, over the last five years. Um, and then, you know, the next time I was I was successful, but but that was that was a really important skill, I think. Well, surrounding yourself with, with the right team and um, you know, having people around you who can um, tell you what it's like and that they've been through it before is is equally important. Definitely, it's so uh, pre present everywhere in academia, and that's such a good, uh, such a good top tip. It's also one of the things that people don't really talk about. You know, when you see people's CVs, it looks as though they've just sailed through, and actually, underneath it all, um, there are these things. And and actually, I think it's really important to to talk about them. Definitely, and it takes months and even years to work up to a grant, doesn't it? So, yeah, it's all of that um, anticipation seems to go away in a blink of an eye. And, and exactly. Fantastic. Um, so then our next question is going to focus a little bit on 
uh, mentorship and supervision and and particularly for uh, trainees that are a little bit early on in their career pathway and maybe taking their first steps into academia or those that actually are you know pretty independent as researchers but really are lacking a, a senior mentor to help guide them uh, do you have any sort of top tips on how to identify the right person to see through your academic surgical career it's a that is a really good question um, and if i just answer it in terms of the more junior people who are only only just starting um, and it might be that you're looking for a mentor or it might be look, that you're looking for someone to help you with that first project to to get you started in in academia and that i think the principles are relatively similar um, and something that um, i've said to a lot of the trainees um, in bristol is you know if someone approaches you in the corridor and says oh i really think you should do this project and you're not completely sure um, but you don't really know what to say at the time you have to say very politely oh thank you very much that sounds great i've got a lot on at the moment so let me think about it um and then go away and look at them on pubmed and if they <laughs> haven't published anything for the last five years then i say to them well why would your project that they've they've just given to you be any different you have to be really careful about where you invest your time um so i think i think that's a really important and it sounds it sounds harsh but i think it's a really important thing because so many people have had their fingers burnt by saying yes to everything and you know that there are only a, a small proportion of things that actually come off so that, that would be the first thing that i would say so so track record essentially is the is the thing and i think that applies to whether you're looking for a mentor to guide you through the, the steps of academia or whether you're looking for someone to actually supervise a project And um, and being a clinician can be quite challenging in its own right. And trying to take up an academic role and balancing the both can be quite challenging. And in your experience, how how did you build a team or infrastructure um, for major grant or for major research um, in your department? So you're right. That is one of the, the biggest challenges that there is. And um, I know that both of you have probably faced this as well. Um, it's especially tough as a trainee. I think um, what I've learned over the last six months is that you do have more time when you're a consultant and that time tends to be um, more within your control. So it does get better. That's the first thing I'd say. Um, and, and it's really tough in the beginning. You know, 10 years ago when I was the first ACF, nobody knew what it was and nobody I was I was. I felt like I was by myself and people used to say, oh, how did you enjoy your day off? And what were you doing this week? Was it your hair, nails or makeup? And, you know, that gets a bit wearing after a while. Um, but the great news is, is that um, actually by just keeping going and, and doing what you're doing um, and, and working hard at both aspects, because uh, unfortunately, I think the perception is still that you have to be just as good, if not better than your full time clinical counterparts to succeed. Um, but but by getting your head down and doing all of that, you actually show to people that, you know, you're, you're not a part timer, you do work really hard. Um, and um, as the body of other academics comes along behind you, there's strength in numbers and, and suddenly it's not such a strange thing to be doing anymore. Um, uh, you know, like you, you know that Birmingham is the academic powerhouse of, uh, of England in terms of the number of academic trainees that, that you've got. Um, so, yeah. It certainly helps, I think, having someone that's trod the path before and being the sort of first person in the department or the person in the region, as you described, to have gone through that pathway, I suspect, was a, a real challenge. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things is, um, you know, communication is key. Um, 
one thing that you can do as somebody who supervises academic trainees is be really transparent about what you expect from the academic and from the, the clinical side and have the conversations between academic and clinical supervisors really early on so that everyone is on the same page. They know what the expectations are and building in a degree of flexibility whilst not, um, you know, completely compromising one or the other. That's obviously a, and that's a really difficult thing to do. Yeah, and I think um, ha even having, you know, both supervisors on your ARCP panel so that it's part of your formative review and things is, is so important, I think. Definitely. Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, you might not think um, that they're joined up because, you know, academia and clinical, they're separate, surely. But, you know, the problems that happen in one are usually related to the other aspect of the job. That's what I've learned the hard way sometimes along the way. <laughs> So we've talked a little bit now about your um, kind of integrated clinical academic career and maybe it being a bit less sort of 50-50 and even more sort of 75-75. Um, but do you think, uh, you know, is research for every surgical trainee, should every surgical trainee be participating in research of some format? Or is it just for those that have a specific interest in it, do you think? So um, I feel quite strongly about this. Um, and I think that every surgical trainee should have the skills that you need to critically appraise literature and apply it to their own clinical practice so that they can practice evidence-based surgery. Um, I think that's the fundamental part. And whether that constitutes the form of um, participating in collaborative research, doing your own um, research project alongside clinical work or taking um, time out to do a higher degree. I, I don't think it matters, but and I certainly don't think that trainees should be forced to do research if that's not what they're interested in. But I think that first skill is crucially important. And the way that you get that skill is by learning about methods, maybe participating in a, um, a systematic review, certainly by participating in collaborative projects and learning how to recruit patients to trials. They're the skills that we should be assessing surgical trainees um, research capabilities against rather than publishing first author papers in my opinion. Definitely and I know you've done a lot of work on trying to advocate for that within CCT guidelines and things so hopefully yeah. we'll follow the trauma orthopedic doctors and the urologists in, in, in having that within. General. Absolutely fingers crossed for the new curriculum. <laughs> <laughs> a personal question I'd quite like to ask you for my, for my uh, learning and it's um uh, what is your kind of top, you, you've succeeded at every uh, stage of getting these really competitive externally funded grants and it's something which looks you very uh, admirably for the future. Have you got any tips for how to kind of prepare for these big grant applications and uh, what, what do you do the day before your interview? Uh, any sort of top tips for people going through that process at the moment? So uh, I think the first thing is give yourself enough time because it always takes so much longer than you think. Um, you know, I, even my doctoral research fellowship, I, I think that almost took me six months um, to write. I was doing it alongside clinical work, but almost six months. So time is really important. Um, the team that you surround yourself with um, is fundamental. Um, so, uh, you know, in many ways, the, the, at, a, at a more junior level anyway, the project is perhaps a little bit less important, but your, you and your potential and the team um, are really, really important. Um, and then in terms that you, you also have to sell yourself and that's very, a very, very difficult thing to do. Um, but you just have to imagine that the, the person before you and the person after you are certainly going to do that. And therefore you have to just step up and do it as well. Um, as for what I do before the interview, I'd love to say that I was, you know, absolutely calm, you know, <laughs> 
<laughs> relaxing, not worrying, but um, that, that would not be true. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I, I, I get incredibly nervous about these things. Um, I, I, if you have to do a presentation, which you do have to for a lot of these fellowships and things, um, I think the key with that is that you practice and practice and practice it again, know it off by heart um, and keep it simple, keep it so that, um, you know, you don't stumble over big words and, and um, you're not struggling to explain difficult concepts. Um, I think they would be, be the main things that I would say. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Natalie. And so we've spoken about mentorship and trying to build a re re research infrastructure. Um, I guess for all the academic trainees that are intending to come into academic surgery and those that are currently on their pathway, what's one thing that you wanted that you would have known as a trainee that you know now? Oh. Um. I think if anyone thinks that um, combining academia and surgery is the easy route, which some people apparently used to think, that, then that is certainly not true. Um, you know, it, it's definitely not the easy option. Um, as I've said already, you've got two, you're a slave to two masters. Um, when you're not in one place, everyone thinks that, you know, you're on holiday or having a day off or, or something. It, it's really, really hard. Um, and as I said before, you, you, it feels as though you have to be the same at least or probably better than everyone else. So that I think my, my main message is don't do it if you are looking for a bit more flexibility in your um, in your job or a little bit of time away from the NHS. That, that would be, um, I would hate for anyone to go in for it for that reason. That's, uh, I think, stellar advice for sure. Um, so to finish with the bang, I thought we could ask one final question. And that would be a bit about um, how you can make impact from your research and how you can, uh, from your experience, what are the best ways to change surgeons practice around the world and, and to get information out to, to patients and the public to allow, allow them to benefit from research? So I, I really wish I knew the answer to this because um, it's, the, it's the kind of golden ticket question. Um, and uh, I all time and time again, you know, even yesterday, the, the um, CODA trial was published about appendicitis and how should we treat it best. And, you know, it's been disseminated. The evidence is there for everyone to see. And then, of course, on Twitter, there's all these surgeons saying, oh, but I'm still going to do an appendicectomy. And I, I genuinely don't know what the best way is of, of changing that. I really don't. But the one thing I would say is that in my clinician scientist, I, I, you have to think about impact and dissemination a lot um, at that stage. Um, and I think that bringing people with you from the beginning is one of the most important things. So, you know, for example, if you're um, designing a study, if you want to embed quality assurance measures into it or anything like that, you need to get buy-in from the surgeons who are participating in the trial, but also those surgeons who are going to be listening to the results and hopefully Im implementing them in their practice. Because if they don't think it's a good question or if they don't believe in the the way that you're you're saying that the operation should be done, then I think that trying to implement it into practice at the end is going to be very very difficult. So, um, buy-in and um, and collaboration really. Collaboration is key. I think that's a really resounding theme of this interview. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, it's an absolute pleasure to have you uh, with us today, Natalie. Thank you very much for joining us. And, Thank you um, very much for inviting me. Thanks, man. Yeah, definitely. And very good luck for your your first few years as a academic surgical consultant. Thanks very much. <laughs> uh, so that brings us to the end of our um, fourth asset SRS, preparing for a career in academic surgery podcast. 
and join us again soon and um, for another episode thank you very much for listening thank you <laughs>